Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Three Point Podcast. Our sponsors tonight include Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Chronic Connection, and our podcast recording studio, Z92.5 The Castle. I'm John Fattel, and I'm filling in for big brother Ted tonight, who is vacationing down in Florida. On the phone with us is Matt Burns of ESPN, and I'm joined in the studio by Jared Fattel of WJSZ. We'll also be checking in tonight with the oldest athletic supporter on our podcast, Cut No Slack, Jack Strap. And we're going to be joined tonight by the ultra-successful Ferris State University football coach, Tony Anise. We'll also be talking a little bit about the NFL draft and the NBA playoffs. So with us right now on the line is uh, Ferris State football coach Tony Aneath. He is a uh, Michigan Hall of Fame coach, probably one of the, part of the one of the greatest father-son coaching combinations in history. Uh, and Tony goes back to his uh, coached at Muskegon Catholic, Central Holland, West Ottawa, Montrose, Ann Arbor Pioneer, Jenison, Muskegon, Grand Rapids Community College, and currently has been at Ferris State since 2012. And he has won everywhere he has ever been. Tony, welcome to the show. Including, including that Kerwood uh, Park there, he's doing basketball. I, I knew there was no way that you could be on this podcast without mentioning that show. So go ahead, get it out of the way, give the story. <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm too old now to even remember. I just know that uh, back in the day it was uh, it's pretty easy to beat you one-on-one. All you had to do was just sit back and, and uh, sag because you couldn't shoot, and uh, you were a double, dribble penetrator, and I'd just let you shoot and rebound the basketball and, and make shots on you. That's it. It looks like my dad, he's uh, he's not quite standing up to you a bit, but I know off record he's told me that you have absolutely no right hand. Well, you don't have to when you've got somebody that's <laughs> five foot four to guard you. That's, All right. yep, Tuesday. I, that's enough of a memory. You're, you're good with that. Hey, so first, why don't you give us a little update. Uh, you guys just finished spring ball. You had your spring game, uh, I believe, this past weekend. Uh, how, how did they look, and what are you looking for for this upcoming season? Yeah, you know, it was a great spring, um, uh, minus the weather. Um, the weather, obviously, was very challenging. But, uh, you know, our guys, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty well focused on going out there and, and getting the job done. So I thought all in all it was a good spring. Um, we lost like 14 seniors off of our defense. And so uh, going to spring, that was a, a big, uh, you know, thing that we wanted to focus on to try to grow um, guys into spots and did a very good job of that. And, uh, you know, our offense, uh, we didn't lose that many guys and we were just trying to build up. And I thought we did that too. So, so all in all, good. Um, you know, we've uh, we're uh, knocking on the door. Our basketball team won the national championship, which is really great to see. Um, and uh, we've been knocking on the door for the last few years, and and uh, we're continually trying to grow to to do the same thing the basketball team did. You mentioned that you lost 14 seniors. Uh, you hear it all the time. With you see it with like PJ Fleck. You know the row row the boat mantra. What would you say your culture at Ferris State, what would you say it's predicated on? What what would you stand for that makes you guys so su- successful? Well, um, you know, if he's got row the boat, I'll just tell you, you know, our, our motto is in the fold. And for us, uh, fold stands for our four core values, which is faith, order, love, and discipline. And uh, so, you know, just, just kind of talking about, you know, faith for a second, um, when I took over and 2012, you know, it was almost one of those things where I said we we're going to do this, and I had to recruit really with my word and my word only because there's really, really no truth of evidence. And so, you know, it had to be a belief system or a faith that something special is going to happen. And and then, you know, we've been, uh, you know, one of five teams in all of college football that have won at least 11 games each of the last four years. So, so our guys have hung in there. You know, we, we don't uh, don't promise the world to them. We just promise them an opportunity to, to compete and and to, you know, play the great game of football. And, you know, our guys have really relished in that opportunity. Our player development's been unbelievable. Currently we've got uh, four guys that are already in NFL camps as we speak. We expect at least three more um either to possibly be drafting, drafted in the next coming days or, you know, getting a free agent contract. So 
we expect seven guys being NFL camps here uh, shortly. You know, you talk about having seven guys who might be um, going into NFL camps next year and the work ethic that this group has already put together looking forward to next year. And, and Jared asked about culture. How has how has today's political climate changed or how does that affect what you do on a daily basis as a coach? Does it have any impact? Do you find that you have to address some of that as a coach where in the past never never came up? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, first off, you know, people, you know, people are, you know, the, people are talking about diversity all the time, like, you know, they're living it. And, uh, and I can say with our team, it, it's our reality. So uh, you know, there's some people that are bystanders to diversity and, and uh, obviously they, you know, they may have respect for it, but it's a pretty sensitive topic when it comes to, you know, how people feel about one another and, and so, um, because of that political climate, you know, we, we got to talk all the time about the realities of, um, you know, what, what our young people face from a day, day in and day out, you know, from the far right or the far left. Um, and then we have to make sure that our guys realize that, you know, everything's good on the football field and everything's sacred with the, you know, the brotherhood and love we have for each other and that some of the, you know, crazy opinions about, you know, judging people um, based upon the color of their skin or, you know, you know, they're, they're based on their socioeconomics or their culture or upbringing or anything of that sort. That's all, uh, you know, that's all something that society does. But, you know, within our football team and our family, you know, those, those controversial topics don't exist. Tony, this is Matt here. Um, I'm, I went to Grand Valley State. I, I graduated from Grand Valley State in 2008. So, so when I was there, Grand Valley was one of the best uh, football programs in Division II, maybe, maybe the best, and they won a couple national championships while I was a student there. And uh, So I was just wondering, when you took the job at Ferris State, Grand Valley was coming off of, I think, six straight GLIAC championships, and, you know, they were kind of running the show there in the GLIAC, and Ferris State was solid, but they were kind of usually around a 500 uh, football team. What did it mean for you to have a team or a school, a program like Grand Valley State, to kind of set your goals to try and aspire to what they were doing and, and to compete against? Well, certainly it wasn't even uh, a consideration to measure ourselves to Grand Valley because, um, first off, what they had done, you know, it, it didn't matter to us in 2012 what they had done. You know, the reality is every season, you know, you're, you know, you're focused on, you know, that year. So, you know, the past was the past with, with what Grand Valley had done. You know, we, we didn't focus on them at all, and we didn't use them as a measuring stick at all. What I did do is, you know, people asked me right away when I took the job at Ferris, being in West Michigan, you know, how are you going to compete with Grand Valley? Well, we had beaten them since 1999 so that was the least of my concerns my concern was you know you know hopefully our guys could grow every day try to be better every day focus on ourselves and not worry about them and and what they had done to ferris for you know the whole the whole century um and then you know we played them in 2012 and we beat them and and uh, you know, when even approaching that that week, I said, "Let's not worry about Grand Valley. Let's worry on worry about Ferris State." And we went out and beat them our first year, and we've beaten them at least uh, you know at least one time a year for the last six years. And so, uh, you know, you just can't. You know, the reality is, you can't just you know worry about somebody uh, that's got an established program when you're trying to establish program. You worry about just trying to focus on yourself and try to develop your team and the mentality of your team to really be uh, believers that you can go out and beat anybody. And that's been our approach, and, and uh, you know, we've, we've, we've been able to be very successful at that approach. Tony, certainly having that, that mantra of we're going to control what we can control and we're going to become as good as we can, can be regardless of what anyone else is doing. Is that something that, that you got from your, your father, Nick, and the way that he coached? I never got the opportunity to play for him, um, uh, but I'm certain there are some things that you have, have used from his, his career. Can you share some of, those, some of those items? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. It comes from, uh, you know, it comes from, you know, Nick and Ethan. 
his approach every day. You know, I don't think he ever worried about an opponent. I don't think he ever, you know, I don't think he ever, you know, put someone on a pedestal. Um, I think he just said, you know, we're the Corona Cavaliers and we're going to go out there and, and play. And, and, and that was true and it always existed. You know, they were always, um, his teams were always competitive. They, you know, they, they could go out there and beat anybody on any given day. And in fact, in his very last year, I think he thought he had the best team in the state. And I think he would have played anybody that year. You know, unfortunately, uh, the way the playoff system worked back then, you know, they're, you know, Corona didn't get in at nine and zero, and that's unfortunate. But yeah, you know, and then you know, growing up with, uh, you know, the three brothers I grew up, you know, <laughs> it didn't matter. You know, I mean, you've played enough basketball, Phil, to know Phil didn't care who he was playing against. Um, he didn't believe anybody was as good as him, and you know, you know, you, you were, you were the beneficiary, I think, of the Phil and East attitude, and that. You know, uh, you guys were able to win a state championship. But if you think back to when Frank Davis came into Corona and uh, assess the challenges that uh, our program faced, I mean, it was it was it was horrible. And uh, you know, Phil's team and and uh, you know Georgie's team and and that group of guys. I mean, they they went to the regionals and you know they won 18 games and. And it was one of those things where that, I mean, that's when the program turned right then. And that was a year after I graduated. But, you know, that mindset is, you know, you know, we're going to go beat anybody at any time. And I, I think that belief system is important because I think sometimes people uh, put some mental limitations, you know, on themselves in regards to focusing on what somebody's done in the past. And, and you know, if, if you're focused on what they've done, you, you know, you're, probably going to lose to them, you know, just the mentality, you know. Uh, I see it every day. You know, I watched it last night when, when LeBron James, you know, willed his team to victory, um, you know, when he doesn't really have a supporting cast. And, you know, it's just it's just the strength of trying to go out and be at your best and, and not look at any opponent like they're better than you. I think that's important. I think it's a great mantra to live by and to certainly coach by, and I'm impressed that you gave some brotherly love out there. That was uh, that was good. Hey, I, I'm I'm wondering too. I know that uh, you're a little bit different from many coaches nowadays. You take a look at someone like Bill Belichick on the sideline wearing some cutoff sweats on the uh, on the side, and you still go with the tie look. What's the? Is, did you get that from your dad? Did you get that from Tom Landry, Dick Nolan? Who who is your who's your mentor when it comes to that? No, it's in honor of Nick and Nice. Um, I've done it, gosh, for I guess 330 some games now, um, and I, you know, I would never, never change that. So that's purely in honor of my dad. And uh, you know, I just started wearing a tie, thinking about you know my dad and what you know what you know how he really approached his business and and uh, you know his profession and. and you know, wearing a tie to me was uh, my way to honor him. So that's why I've done it. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, speaking of fantastic coaches, which obviously you and, and your, your dad, Nick, were, I, I remember when I went to a basketball coaches clinic and heard Lute Olson from Arizona speak, and he said that he started out as a seventh-grade basketball coach, and he said that he had faced coaches as a seventh-grade coach who were better than some of the guys that he went up against in Division One when he was at Arizona at the time. Can you think of any any coach that you've ever competed against who you believe is just top notch, but they're just simply under the radar, and maybe somebody doesn't they just don't know about this person? Whether it could be a JV coach, because I know you've coached multiple levels over the course of time. Is there someone who you just respect the heck out of, but they're under the radar? Well, yeah, and, and football, you know, I I've I've you know, been a head coach for so long. I was only a JV coach for a couple of years. But asking that question makes me kind of think about how many times people say, well, he's just a high school coach. And uh, in the college football world, you know, you see um, Jeremy Pruitt, head coach at Tennessee, high school coach. You know, the, the head coach at uh, Texas now, high school coach. And, and so you see this, the head coach at Arkansas now, high school coach. And and so you see all the success high school coaches, former high school coaches are having at the college level, you know, the head coach at Auburn, former high school head coach. So, 
so it's cool to see. Um, but, you know, there, there's so many guys that you, you think back, like, you know, John Chilateau at uh, Zealand West now, uh, you know, he, he runs a unique system, but uh, he's just a great coach, and, he, and he's so professional, and he does things so, you know, successfully. You know, coaching, I've coached against some great coaches, you know, so I coach against Al Fricasa, you know, Tom Mack. You know, those guys are just, you know, guys that, that you know, could, could roll into the college game and do, you know, great things. Um, you know, I said that to Peter Sturzma a few years ago when he was at East Grand Rapids, and I never coached against him, but but uh, I talked to him about it, and then he got the Hope College job, and all of a sudden, like, boom, you know, Hope College is really good again. So, you know, there's a lot of high school coaches out there that, uh, you know, could coach college football, and a lot of people say, well, you know, they're high school coaches, so they've never really recruited, and uh, I say this much about um, former high school coaches, you know, you're recruiting every day um, as a high school coach. You're recruiting in your hallways. You're interacting with teachers. You're interacting with students. You're, you're, you're uh, you know, making sure that kids are feeling okay, that teachers are, you know, they're doing well enough in their classroom with teachers. So high school coaches do, like, an extraordinarily amount of, uh, you know, extra things um, that college coaches aren't used to doing. And I think being a high school head coach helps you to be a college uh, coach. And uh, it makes you really ultimately, I always say, uh, coach their heart, not their talent. And we've got that poster in our office. But we want to coach young people's heart, not their talent. So in high school, you, you've got to coach everybody's heart because there's just not – you can't win with three or four talented kids in high school. In college, you recruit, so you got you know, you got – you know, recruitable athletes everywhere. But in high school, you know, you might have that right guard on the football team that's 160 pounds. You might have that quarterback like John Patel who couldn't throw it 30 yards. You were my, you taught um, me. You might have that, you know, all of a sudden you might have that basketball team that, you know, is, is really small. So you're playing a style of basketball where you're pressing 94 feet up and down and, and so, you know, those are all things that high school coaches have to adapt to, where college coaches, in my opinion, um, it becomes challenging. And the last thing is high school coaches are teachers, so they're used to being teachers. You know, you sometimes listen to a college coach speak at a, at a, a convention, and they don't even know, you know, how to even really use technology to, to do a PowerPoint presentation and, and things like that. So. So those are all observations I've got between, you know, guys that potentially could be great college coaches but really haven't had the opportunity. So where do you think you've been able to have a bigger impact on your players' lives, as a college coach or as a high school coach? Oh, you know, as a high school coach, definitely. You know, there, there's people always say, well, you know, what, what do you like about the high school game and what do you like about the college game? I loved being with the – with the players every day in high school. So, and I mean, I'm talking about every day. So, you know, like for instance, you know, our, our guys are have taking exams next week. Today, you know, being in the office, I see about half the guys. And probably next week I'm going to see about a quarter of the guys. And then I won't see any of the guys for, you know, the next three or four weeks till they come back for the summer. And and so you're with high school kids all day, every day. You're taking them home after practice. You're making sure that they have lunch if they don't have lunch. You know, um, you're making sure that they're they're you know studying for this test or that test if they need to. And and if mom and dad have something wrong um, where you know they need your help, then you're there to help. You know, um, the college game. Um, I our, my staff were incredible. Um, at taking care of young people, but the interaction just isn't at the high, at the highest level. Most of the time, you know, I I have to have my position coaches kind of monitoring my guys, and so I've got 125 players. So you know, there might be eight receivers, and my receiver coach has to manage all eight of those guys. And and so high school football, you're just you're just like ingrained at a much higher level. 
You know, you, you talk about that and, and kind of that investment that you have with, with players, which kind of guides me into the next question. Um, I, I look back on my coaching career, and uh, oftentimes I see some of my players on my very first Corona team, which was in 1999, and we, we lost in the regionals, and I think because of something that I did as a coach. We we came out and pressed Saginaw Buena Vista, and we're leading 19-18 to 18 at the end of the first quarter, and I thought that, all right, we can continue doing this all game. Well, we couldn't, and we ended up getting just dusted. So has there been a time where you've had a, you feel you had a disappointing loss where you think there was something that you either did or didn't do that was the, was the difference in the game that just kind of sticks out and says, oh, man, if I could only do that over again? Oh, my goodness, so many of them. So, you know, going back to you know, times where, you know, you were, you were around our program a lot, just going back to Montrose, so. I was a young coach as a head coach when I was 26. I, I didn't know anything. I mean, literally, as I look back, I'm like, I mean, how did I even function? And so I'll go back to, like, you know, some of the talented teams. And, and not to say that, you know, we weren't given great effort and our kids were playing hard and our coaches were coaching hard. But I would say, you know, looking back, um, I think the 1990 team, probably should have won a state championship. I think the 92 team should have won the state championship. And I definitely think the 94 team would have won the state championship. Just uh, me being a little bit more um, astute on some of the things that I know now, you know, just from an offensive philosophy standpoint. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of those things where like, dang, you know, gosh, what was I thinking back then, you know? And uh, so, you know, and then you lose some that, you know, you just might, you know, you just might not think through a process or a circumstance where, you know, in 1997, you know, we had a chance to kick a field goal, win a game, and instead of kicking the field goal, we fumble because I call two of a high risk of a play. So yeah, that happens a lot. But then, you know, I could I could say the same thing about our last game. You know, losing uh, to Harding in the quarterfinals this past year. You know, you just as a coach, you just focus on the losses more than you focus on the wins. That's just the nature of who we are. And, uh, you know, you just, you know, you just think, gosh, if I was a little better, we could have won that game. You talked about your philosophy. In, in high school, you ran more of like the tra- traditional veer. And then I would say pretty much right as you stepped foot on Ferris, you shifted to more of a, you know, shotgun, uh, spread you out, uh, read option type offense. Why did you feel the need to make that change? Well, it's always been with me, it's always been uh, more about personnel than scheme. And so I've always, and, and people are constantly asking me, why do you change all the time? Well, because my players change all the time. You know, when, when I took over at Ferris, it was really quick to see I had like a, a man child at quarterback, and, uh, you know, 6'4, 241. He, he was. He was adept at running the option but he was more adept at you know you know running the ball downhill and so sometimes when you're running an option game you know you're dependent on the read as to whether you know you're going to have the ball in the quarterback's hands or running back's hands or the or the slot's hands and in this case i needed the ball in his hands a lot and so we we developed a system where we had a lot of predetermined quarterback runs and and, you know, it's very effective to do it that way. So, you know, we still have all of our old schemes in play. Um, I think they're always going to be a part of what I want to do um, in regards to at least having them, you know, something that we can use if necessary. You know, being a triple option team forces the defense to spend, you know, time in preparation to defend the triple option. So schematically, they have to have a plan for it. So I'll, I'll still maintain that um, throughout my career, but you know, most of it is based upon you know what what our guys are capable of doing, you know, and uh, so you know we we've got some really good receivers. Excuse me, we've got some uh, really good receivers. One's from Montrose there, Malik Taylor. You know, we're we're gonna get him the ball. So you know, it's just like you know feeding feeding the hot guy in basketball. You know. Change your scheme somewhat, somewhat when you've got, you know, a great player who can dominate the game. So that's kind of what we do. 
Tony, you were talking about player personnel and player turnover and, and, and adapting to the players that you have. Some of the some of the big news right now in Michigan, especially in Ann Arbor, is is Shea Patterson and if he's going to be ruled eligible by the NCAA uh, for his transfer. I'm curious what your in, in your opinion what what your thoughts are on on the transfer rules in college football and and the fact that coaches can can kind of come and go as they please and take new jobs and and are able they don't have to sit out a year or anything like that but if players feel the need to transfer in certain cases they have to sit out a year before they can be eligible to play in your opinion is that something that you think if they change the rule it could be bad for college football and and what kind of things does that present for for a coach if if their players can just come and go as they please well yeah that's a that's a great question um and it's a very controversial topic First off, if, if, if a university is under NCAA investigation and the coach lost his job because of that uh, investigation, I would say that every player on that team should be able to, you know, leave without punishment. You know, I, I just don't like the idea of, you know, all of a sudden the player suffering because a coach cheated. And so, you know, with, with, with Shea Patterson, I think he should be immediately eligible, just my opinion on, you know, Coach Freeze and what happened there. And I don't know all the details, obviously, because I'm not in the middle of it. But when the NCAA comes in and, and ends up, uh, you know, punishing the university because of NCAA violations, and I, I think that should be the case. Now, beyond that, I can't stand what's happening with the – um, you know, with, with everybody moving all over the place and now, you know, graduating and, and leaving, you know, university to go to another university for the last season, I, I can't stand that part of it. Fortunately, we don't have those situations. But I, I don't like the opportunity for, for young people to transfer. I see they're talking about, you know, allowing kids to transfer more and not, you know, taking a year of eligibility out. And I've got a bunch of transfers. Um, but, uh, you know, if, it's, if a young person has to sit out a year and transfers, then that's the way, that's the way it should be. I don't, I don't, I'm not advocating that we just open the doors for yeah. transfers at any time. Um, one of the NCAA rules that I can't stand, and I think it's wrong, is um, early entry into a university after a high school seventh semester. You know, they're taking away a kid's opportunity to play basketball in the winter or run track or the spring or play baseball in the spring or, um, you know, go to prom and those kind of things. I think it's just wrong. Um, I don't think we should hurry kids off to, you know, have them leave their mom and dad to uh, go to some big-time Division One school their eighth semester, what would be their eighth semester of high school, in order to go, you know, go to college early. So don't like that rule at all. I wish the NCAA would, would change that and say, no, no, no more, no, you know, more, no more of this, you know, early entry into college because uh, sometimes I think we're forcing kids to grow up too fast and they're not enjoying, you know, the, the greatness of what high school, uh, you know, participation in sports and just being a high school student with your family. Um, I think that's important. I like that old school approach. Yep. So here's a good question. So on your you run you run the no huddle offense, and I notice uh, at your games that you have sideline boards where you hold for like play calls. And I was just curious if there's any way we could get we could get a three point podcast one made. But before you answer, uh, as as you know, but as the readers might not know, or as the listeners might not know, I currently mow your your mom's lawn. And if you were able to do that, I would be willing to mow entirely for free. What do you think? Oh. You don't want to do that, man. My mom wants you to mow it every other day. <laughs> it's too much work. Oh no, it's awesome. I I love it. She's the nicest person I know. Well, listen, Tony. I want to I want to thank you for being with us. We're going to be turning our attention to the NFL draft. Do you have time to stick around and crack wise, or do you need to uh, need to skedaddle? No, I'll uh, I'll sit and listen to you guys a little bit, but I'm going to eat my dinner while we do it. So. <laughs> What's... I'm going to put you on speaker, and I'll just uh, pipe in when I when I when I can. You got it. 
Okay, so before we get to the NFL draft, let's uh, pay a few bills and, and talk about some of our sponsors. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the spot to meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on their 21 TVs. Weekly food and drink specials, including great burgers, wings, and pizza, along with a homemade soup and salad. Rivals Tap House and Grill, located on the corner of Shiawassee at M21 in Corona. And I know I have had uh, lunch out there with Coach Anise when he's run his his camp, his option camp before at Corona. Uh, it's a fantastic place to go. The Corona Connection is a direct mail paper sent to all of Corona, Vernon, and the Shiawassee County parts of Lennon. You can also pick up a copy of the latest edition at many Corona businesses and Kroger. Like them on Facebook, and you can view the entire Corona Connection paper online every month, both on Facebook and at Corona Connection. I can tell you that I went to a, uh, a teacher recruiting fair, a couple of them here in the past uh, past few weeks, and we had many copies of the Corona Connection with us and gave them to potential teachers. And they were just so impressed with the information that was in there about the Corona School District and the Corona community and made them want to be a part of our team. So, yeah, yeah you got to respect that casual plug of Corona Public Schools right there. Absolutely. <laughs> I know where the bread is buttered, baby. I'm just filling in tonight, yeah. so I, I have, yep. I have yep. free I reign. Every right. You have free every reign. Right uh, so let's talk the NFL draft. As By the time you're listening to this at home, uh, you will already know who the Lions have taken and who the Browns have taken. Uh, Matt, what's, what's your take on the NFL draft? You know, I, I'm excited about it. I, I'm one of those that I, I like reading all the mock drafts and I like reading all the, the different scenarios that could play out and everything and, and seeing who could go where. I, I just think it's exciting to see what players could go, especially seeing where, where the Michigan, the, the Big Ten players, Michigan, Michigan State, and all those, those players could end up. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really – the first round this year I think is really intriguing. I think with, with the Browns having two picks in the top four and all the, all the quarterbacks and Saquon Barkley up there, and I, I think there could be a lot of movement, a lot of trades, and, and some craziness going on. I think, it's, I think it's an exciting thing to watch. I'm really interested to see how it plays out, and ever since, well, this is a little side story, but I got kicked off of our family's Netflix, so as a result, I've been forced to just scrounge YouTube to find stuff to watch, and I find, I'm so invested in this NFL draft that I've been watching 2012 Hard Knock episodes every night. <laughs> watching the Rex Ryan. Hard it's uh, the New York Jets, Rex Ryan. Oh, it, yeah, that was a good It's must-watch. The hard hard knocks is good because you get the inside look, and I almost feel like that's a little bit like what the NFL draft is because you know you get they have the cameras in whether a player is at his his hometown or or he's at his high school or, or his college or you know wherever they're at you get to see those those real raw reactions of when a guy gets drafted or whatever and I just think it's fun it's exciting and and you know you get the trades and and all that kind of stuff and and that's what I'm reading I'm reading that the Lions right now at they're sitting at number twenty. They're not really necessarily sold on on their spot, so they might trade down. Um, they might do you know the Patriots way of, of trading down and trying to stockpile picks. So so I'm really curious to see what the Lions do, and I'm I'm really curious to see what the Browns do. I just you know they've they've swung and missed on so many quarterbacks. It's just like are they going to draft another quarterback at number one? But they, I mean they need quarter they need a quarterback so. I'm just. I think they should go with Saquon Barkley at number one, and then take a quarterback at number four. But, but who knows? Maybe they'll throw some trades. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? I would go back to kind of what Tony had mentioned earlier. Coaching, even in the NFL, makes a difference. I mean, you see someone like Bill Belichick who turns turns guys who can't even make other NFL rosters into superstars. And and we talk about the Browns. I, I believe that the reason why the Browns haven't won, and the reason why the Lions haven't won. It's coaching. Uh, you, you have a fantastic coach, and they're going to take the talent that they have, put them in a system that's going to make them most successful. And and that. So I don't even really. I, do I you, can't. I do, can't add more about what you, players are there. I don't know. I'm old, and I don't read all. Well, that let me much. ask you. Do you think that uh, Patricia is the answer? I'm hoping. I don't know. Time will tell. <laughs> Time. Nobody knew about okay. Vince that's Lombardi. <laughs> Nobody knew about Bill Belichick. I I I'm hoping. I would. I think he was worth taking a shot at for sure. One yeah, one thing I like about Patricia is is he's not one of the like good old boys. You know that that's sometimes one of those things with with the NFL that I wonder like a guy gets fired and then he immediately gets hired somewhere else, and then you know maybe three or four or five years later he gets fired again or something. So I'm glad that the Lions didn't go that route and just hire a coach that came from some other team and as a, as a head coach and they took a shot on a guy that you know he Bill Belichick had 
gave him all the high praise and everything, and other other coaches around the league did too. So I think I'm I'm excited for Patricia, and I'm excited for what the Lions are going to do. But I definitely agree with with talking about coaches because I mean you you see some some teams take players that you know they they would be good players. They're obviously in the NFL. They're good players, but because they're really well coached, especially like with teams like the Patriots, they turn them into pro bowlers and stuff like that. So that's the biggest thing to me with the Browns is they've just had such high turnover at, at the head coach position that these quarterbacks almost have no shot when they go in there. It's it's crazy. So let me let me ask you this. If you're Matt Patricia, uh, who are you taking or what position are you looking at in, in the first round? I mean, we talked about it before. They did sign LeGarrette Blount, and he's probably going to be the starting running back. But oh. – I, I still think running back is a need because Blunt isn't a like long-term answer. So I, it, it depends on who's available at 20 or if they're going to trade. But they, they still need defensive line help, and they could still use some offensive line help. So, so it might just end up being how, how things shake out in, in the first 19 picks. And, you know, if, if a good running back is still sitting there at 20, then maybe they take a running back. And, or if one of the, one of the offensive tackles are, are available, maybe they go that route. But... But yeah, we'll see. I mean, if you can trade that pick and get get another first round pick and a couple second round picks or something like that, maybe that's the route to go. I'm going to give my opinion here, and then I'm going to turn it over to Coach Tony Nice, who is joining us on the line tonight to talk a little NFL NFL uh, draft. I I think that the Lions' running backs are good enough. Zach Zenner. Um, He's fine. Uh, Abdullah is fine. Legarrette Blount is fine. They they will give they can give the Lions enough of a running game. You're at the NFL. Get the unsung guys. Get the get the linemen get on both sides of the ball, offense and defensive linemen. And there are enough skilled player around, skilled players around in the lower rounds um, and in free agent that you can go and get and and be good enough. Especially when you've got someone like Stafford throwing the ball around. Tony, any any thought? Are you you finished with part of your well, meal? Who was the, who was the Super Bowl uh, winning quarterback last year? Nicholas Foles. And what is his reputation? What was his pedigree? Yeah, backup quarterback. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, you're rolling the dice with quarterbacks. I, you know, other than Tom Brady, which obviously, you know, his elite status playing for an elite coach with an elite team, you know, obviously he's got an extraordinary reputation. But beyond that, you know, it, 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 it's like every year some something new, you know, so – you can if you, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you can sit and evaluate. You know who's going to be the guy um, this this year that's going to be the quarterback. Um, you know, and, and and so who 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 knows who it's going to be? You know, and so um, yeah, I think you're better off to pick the best player. Um, who's the, who's the best player in the draft? I, I think A lot it, of people are saying Saquon yeah. Barkley. The, Saquon Barkley Barkley is the best player in the draft. So. And I know running backs. People are like, oh, running backs. That you know, their their shelf life is, is short, and they can't impact things at the at, at that at the greatest level. But you pick pick the best player, and he's the best player. So you know, I, I think that's the smartest thing to do. As far as the Lions go, you know, you know that you're you're talking about you know put, putting putting players in there that uh, you know physically. You know, can play the style you want. You want to play. So, Patricia's a you know a defensive guy. You know, he's going to look for defensive linemen. He's going to look to try to establish uh, win up front mentality um, on both sides of the ball. I think that's what's probably the, the best approach you can take. You know, Stafford's as as good as they come when when he's protected. But uh, and, and that's the nature of the sport. You know, when you got great players around you, you can be great. But if you don't have people that are playing. The high level around you and, and consistently, you know, playing you know physical football up front and and smart football on the back end and and protecting the football as an offensive player, you know, you're you know you're going to suffer. And so, I think you just go out there and you find uh, you know the guys that are are, are physical and are going to win big games for you over a course of a, a career, not just because of a day or two. You know, with the Browns, you know, people talk about Baker Mayfield. It, to me, I said this the other day, it's, it, to me it sounds like Johnny Manziel again. And so, you know, I, I would just think that would be a mistake. Yeah, I guess that, that's what I'm thinking too is with the Browns have had 28 quarterbacks since 1999. So clearly they, they haven't got that right. And 
they, they need to build a, a team around whatever quarterback they do go with, I think. And you look at a team like the Jaguars last year, they almost made the Super Bowl. I mean, they were a couple plays away from making the Super Bowl, and they had a guy, Blake Bortles, playing quarterback, who most people were trying to run out of the league. Mm-hmm. So if, if the Browns can build a team, get, get a good offensive line, get a good defense going, and have a, a solid quarterback – and then maybe a year or two from now they, they can draft that quarterback, then, then maybe that's the route to go. And, and the other thing is with, with these quarterbacks, there's four or five of them that are, they're throwing around that, that are potentially going to be picked number one. That kind of says something to me, too. Like if there's not that Andrew Luck or that Peyton Manning guy that is the clear cut, he's the number one, this is the guy that's going to change your franchise, then you're probably not really sold on, on one of those guys. So if you're if you're tossing around four or five names, then maybe you should go a different route because if if you're sold on a guy like Andrew Luck or something like that, then then that's who you're going to take at number one. But but clearly they're not sold right now. So so who knows? Maybe they will go with Barkley. Because I mean, there's the pressure too of you draft a rookie quarterback and people expect him to come in and change the franchise. So if if that doesn't happen right away, then you, then you just you got another bust on your hands. I'm just hoping for the Lions. I, I've promised my boys that someday if they go to the Super Bowl, we're going. We're going to I'm calling your bluff on that right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way we go. We're, we're when going. you look at those ticket prices, we ain't going. Well, I didn't say we would go into the game. I said, we're, but we're going to yeah. wherever it is. So I, I'm, I'll buy my ticket. How about that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. You're going to watch if, it on TV, John. That's yep. true. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, be in the atmosphere anyway. I, I, that's that. That would be nice. All right, Tony, anything anything else regarding the NFL draft, maybe where you're hoping that some of your players are going to end up? You know, I'm just hoping one of them gets drafted. Um, it's tough, you know. First off, the scrutiny for, for just the average fan, they have no idea how these guys are scrutinized, you know, from, you know, when did they get this tattooed, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what their grade was in algebra and, and – uh, What's your mom like? I mean, I was at, uh, we were, we, you know, our, our, two of our guys went to Michigan's Pro Day. We're, we're talking about, uh, you know, the two guys that I had at the Pro Day. And one of the pro scouts says, uh, how's Malik doing? And he's talking about Malik Taylor, who's a junior receiver. I said, oh, he's doing really well. And he says, well, how is this? And he, he stated uh, a girl's name. And I'm like, who, who is that? He goes, well, that's his girlfriend. I, and I don't even know her name, you know. <laughs> so these pro scouts know so much about these guys. It's just incredible. And uh, the scrutiny is just uh, amazing, you know. Um, they, 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 want, they monitor every bit of, you know, everything with these guys. And, and so, you know, our two guys, Steeler uh, and, and Tavi, Tavi Thomas, um, they, 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 you know, they went to the Lions, the, basically the state prospect the Lions had and and uh, I think there were 24 kids there and uh, there was only four that went in to meet the GM and two of them were my guys and so you know I think my guys are thought of uh, quite highly but it's tough to get drafted you know because a lot of guys honestly um, are trying to hide these um, you know people from smaller schools so you know, like like maybe the you know the the Buffalo Bills, for example, might say, "Hey, you know, Coach, we really like this kid, but you know, we're trying to keep it down so that people don't want to draft him. You know, because mm-hmm. if they can hold off and sign him as a free agent, it's better, and they can use their draft picks for somebody else. So that's kind of the game for you know Division two guys is you know you kind of say, hey, you know, they might get drafted, but we're hoping they don't, so we can sign him as a free agent kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So. So we'll see what happens, but you know both of my guys at Michigan's pro day, uh, you know Sealer Sealer tested, you know better than you know any Michigan uh, player, and and Tavi ran a four three eight, which was the fastest of anybody at the whole pro day. So you know they're skilled and they've got a good chance to 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 make a team, but God knows how how you know the next couple of days will go. 
Right. Well, uh, I know they've had certainly good background from you, and they've learned how to compete, and I'm certain that they will represent uh, you and Fair State University very well. I want to thank you again, Tony, for joining us here on our one-on-one segment of the Three Point Podcast. Uh, We'll let you get back to your better half and finish your dinner, and best of luck next year, and uh, we hope we're certain that we're going to read good things about you. Thanks. I appreciate you having me, and uh, just a little shout-out. Cooper Claff is doing a great job at Ferris, and I just wanted you guys to know that before I signed off. Yeah, just let me know if you need me, need me to toughen them up or anything. Toughen them up, man. Toughen them up. <laughs> thanks, Tony. All right, thanks, guys. Hey, hey, Tony, I just wanted to say real quick, I, I, I grew up going to going to all the football games at Nick and East Field, and I, I played on Nick and East Field my whole, my whole life, too, so it, it's really cool to have the chance to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So now that we've talked a little bit about the NFL draft and you've heard some of our thoughts, let's see what our oldest athletic supporter has to say. I've got a hunch he's got some ideas on the Lions and some other issues with the NFL. So here's Jack Strap, our oldest athletic supporter. Jake, no, I'm not going to take my shots off. No, no, I don't give a rat you're in what people think. I'll tell you what, guys. Kids these days, although he's 48 years old, he's trying to tell me that it doesn't look good to wear socks with my sandals and tennis shoes. But, like, I really care. First of all, generally, younger people make fun of old guys like me who wear black socks with tennis shoes and sandals. But have you ever seen an 89-year-old foot? It's nasty. They're young enough to, you guys are young enough to touch your toes and cut your toenails. I'm not. My feet are not going to win a beauty contest either, fellas. So anyway, you ought to be thankful, Jake, that guys like me cover up our feet with socks. Secondly, do you really think at age 89 I care what people think? Hell no. I was walking in the grocery store earlier this afternoon in my socks and sandals, and I had gas from Jackie's corned beef casserole breakfast. And, you know, do you expect me to suffer with that or let her rip? So anyway, I relieved myself in the produce area. So, uh, you know, I really wasn't worried about the rude stairs either. I'm sorry I digress, guys. Are you still with me? So, Jack, yeah, you are still with us. So what I'm hearing you say is that you did a little crop dusting in the grocery store? You know it. You know it. And it wasn't, uh, well, you know, what can I say? Uh, but, you know, that's when you're old like me, do you really, really care what people think? And uh, and who who is that? That's not Teddy, is it? No, this is uh, Teddy's uh, youngest brother, John. Oh, okay. All right, Johnny. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever really met you, but uh, obviously I've heard a lot of good things about you, other than the fact that Jake came home a little disappointed last year after Byron beat the Cavaliers, and he was going to storm the field with three of his buddies, try to take the the uh, North End goalpost down, and I guess you body slammed him. <laughs> you have a physical presence on the sidelines for sure. Well, you know, that's why Corona has some good uh, good maintenance and good grounds and good buildings. you got guys like you protecting it. <laughs> you know, and you got you got the hoodlums like my son out there trying to destroy things. Yeah, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, Jack. Well, that's true. That's true. All right, guys, you want to hear my thoughts on the NFL? Here we go. We've been waiting. Uh, I'll tell you right now that uh, what NFL team tonight is going to acquire the immediate production at the quarterback position? Well, I say that Cleveland should take Baker Mayfield, but they do not have the cojones. Why should they? Because Baker Mayfield is the perfect fit for the fans. Cleveland is a gritty town like Detroit. Josh Rosen, are you kidding? He looks like an Ivy Leaguer, and he eats salad for lunch. Mayfield eats roast beef, I guarantee it. But at six foot one, Mayfield is taller than Johnny Manziel, but he reminds me of old Jim McMahon of the Chicago Bears, who happens to be six foot one. But again, Cleveland management has handcuffed themselves with all the horrible decisions they've made, so they can't even afford to pick this guy if they want to. Because, obviously, they'll get ridiculed if they pick him. But I'm just saying, I'd love to see him in Cleveland. What do you think? Yeah, uh, that would be a bad pick, I think, for them. Baker Mayfield is a second-round pick at best, in my opinion. 
Well, well, we'll just see, but I have a feeling they could get lightning in a bottle. Everything, everybody's against this kid, but I, I just love his competitive fire. But again, I think he's the perfect personality fit in Cleveland. And let's face it, NFL is all all national sports are are really entertainment, and I guarantee he'd be uh, more entertaining uh, than uh, than Rosen in Cleveland. But I think the sleeper in the draft is Lamar Jackson. So one team is going to be very happy they drafted him. And uh, one last comment on the Detroit Lions. Bobby Ross could use some help on the defensive side of the ball to help the Donican Sue, and I hope they pick up a nice running back like George's Nick Chubb. But that's basically all I have to say about the Detroit Lions and, and about the NFL guys. And I'm on a short rope tonight because Jackie and I are going to sit down and uh, cuddle up and watch a little TV. Going to watch a little Little House in the Prairie? No, no, no little house in the prairie tonight and not dancing with the stars. I don't know what she's got. Some video from some uh, dark video room, I guess. All right. Well, Jackstrap, like usual, a little off the rails. I think someone ought to check his meds. Uh, Before we talk NBA playoffs, uh, think about Sportsnet Michigan. It's been around a long time, J-Rod. I think longer than you have been alive In fact, I know that for sure as I'm reading this here. Uh, Thousands of high school game radio broadcasts available on CD or digital download, which is the rage nowadays with all you young folk, going all the way back to 1985 when I was 19 years old. For a sample, you can check out some of those posted games that are on 3 Point Podcast. And also just a reminder that the Corona Connection is holding a pretty cool event that I think I'm going to try to recruit uh, Jared and maybe even some of my other boys uh, in, the Corona Amazing Race. Uh, they're going to be they're bringing their own version of the Amazing Race to everyone in Corona and the surrounding community on Saturday, May 19th. There's pre-registration available at coronaconnection.com or on their Facebook page, or you can use the Dropbox at Recreation Warehouse. Uh, but it's going to be at McCurdy Park, 9 to 11, on Saturday, May 19th. Entry fee of $20 for a team of two. Uh, a lot of prizes will be offered and a chance to kind of give back to the community and thank the uh, Corona Connection for the amazing sponsorship they do, uh, not only for this pod, but for Corona Public Schools yeah. as well. I, how did I know that you were going to be intrigued by that? You, you're like Nicolas Cage from National Treasure with that sort of stuff. Ancient Aliens, History Channel, you eat it up. I, I don't know what the reference to Nicolas Cage meant. but you uh, never, you, like, I've seen the movie. Treasure hunting? Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Anyways. All right, so let's talk NBA playoffs. Uh, uh, we know that uh, a couple of teams have already qualified to move on. Um, thoughts, Jared? What's your impression so far? LeBron had a big game winner uh, last night. That was impressive. I, but I can't help but and it just my brain comes right back to it. James Harden's been balling out. Oh, good lord! They've already advanced. Yeah, okay, I want to I want to talk about this because I I obviously listened to the pod last week and you got into the whole Kobe versus James Harden thing and and I got to tell you I I will always love you as a son unconditional love. You are so out in left field saying oh, okay. that, that Harden is better than Kobe Bryant. Let me just no, no, let no, me no. just play, beat Tony Cornell no, here. No, answer this first. Who who would you say knows more about basketball? You or Mark D'Antoni? I'm thinking me. <laughs> oh my god! I'm going to say me based okay. on that. If he said if he's saying that James Harden is better than Kobe Bryant, the only reason he's saying that is because he knows that Harden has to get tougher mentally in order for them to do anything. I want you to just think about some of these things. Okay, you're going to be quiet here for a second and listen. Kobe Bryant, five NBA championships, James Harden, none. All NBA teams, Kobe, 15. All defensive first teams, Kobe, nine. James Harden, zero. James Harden, I'm not sure if he could guard me, and and I'm not very good. Um, You you also think you could score on Kawhi Leonard. Once. Once I could launch one. Uh, so let's talk. Let's look at playoff stats. Your best players, your best players in the NBA, they either maintain or they they get a little bit better in the playoffs because they tend to play a, a few more minutes. Kobe Bryant's points per game went up in the playoffs. James Harden overall points per game has gone down in the playoffs. He only averages twenty one points a game uh, in the playoffs. Field goal percentage, James Harden has gone down in the playoffs. Kobe Bryant, his percentage goes up compared to the regular season. Three-point percentage, Kobe's percentage goes up in the playoffs. James Harden, 
goes down. I can I can give you more. And let me and let me oh, talk no, no, about. No, no. Okay. I, I, no, I'm going to give you more. Go ahead. Because I, I I was yelling at the at my Amazon Echo last week listening to the podcast. So let's look at James Harden's playoff history. I know that you're are you a millennial? Are you a yes G- millennial? Gen Z. I know where you're going. Yeah, I'm going to go to last year's playoff game. That was the worst choke got choke job in the history of the NBA. He was awful in a deciding game they got beat by 40 points he had more turnovers than he had field goals kobe bryant would never have done that ever kobe bryant has never he's been the lead man one time and that's with paul gasol who is a very underrated and very good player but no let me you have all these statistics you're talking about these whole career statistics. Let me list to you their nine-year totals both of them play this is this would be looking at kobe was 13 when he came in the league and okay what was james harden like 20 19 26. So James, so James Harden. Got to count the beard. He <laughs> has uh, more points, more assists, more rebounds, and he's played more minutes than Kobe Bryant in his nine years. Uh, listen, I'm not saying that James Harden is a bad player. He he can equate and play in any era. He's physical. He he's a tremendous shooter. He can handle the basketball. He gets to the rim and he shoots free throws well. He's a great player. You can't even begin to put him in the same defensive category as Kobe. Not even close and until he does it in big games in the playoffs you can't even make that argument now six years from now okay if he has done it and he's won a couple of titles all right i'll i'm i'm i'll entertain that notion at that point in time but not until then okay he and i know matt's just chomping at the bit to get in on this as a kobe (laughs) lover but james harden i hate kobe but i recognize to carry him through the all those playoffs three titles the best, probably the best player of the two thousand from two thousand to two thousand ten. He's the best player in the league. Shaq. He, uh, does James Harden have that? No. He's got, got, he's got arguably the best, arguably the best point guard in the history of the game. He's worn down. He's it's like in year fifteen. Uh, Matt, go ahead, chime in because I, 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 I I'm about right ready to ground him. I finally have someone on my side. I mean, with with some st- stats to back it up because that's oh, the no. stuff that I no, would no, come no, at no. him with. And and you know it's one of those things like the the stats. I think those are like a little misleading because we've talked about it before. Like, you know, Larry Bird is looked at as one of the best shooters in the history of the NBA, but Steph Curry's shooting statistics just blow Larry Bird out of the water. So it's just a completely different game. So, so just going like straight up saying James Harden has scored more points or, you know, some of those things, it's a little like out of whack because the game is just so different. So, I mean, that's one thing to me, but the biggest thing is that, those the things that John brought up, the, the all defensive teams and and the MVPs and obviously the championships. It's not all about championships because we talked about that. Then guys like Robert Ory would be up there or whatever. But right. but when you talk about the guys who are the best players in the league, it does come down to championships because that's that's what that's what matters. I mean that's why LeBron was better opportunities. As, you know, Michael Jordan until he started winning yeah. championships. And I think part of it, too, is it's a prisoner of the moment thing. I think right now, you know, people are watching the NBA right now. They're watching LeBron and they're watching Harden and they're watching, you know, Kevin Durant and some of these guys. And, you know, they're kind of forgetting about Kobe and they're kind of forgetting a little bit about, you know, some of these guys like Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan. So yeah, everyone wants to say that right now that some of the rappers are some of the best rappers of all time. Some of the quarterbacks are the best quarterbacks of all time. So LeBron is the best player of all time because you're watching them right now and they're prisoners of the moment. And I think that's part of it with Harden. He he's a great player. You, I mean, you're you're dead on that his game would translate into any era. But he he doesn't play any defense, and everyone knows that. And 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 next thing is his step back three that it looks nice. He travels every time he steps back and shoots that three. So I don't know. I. Just it's almost not even a, a if you really want to have the argument it's not even really a, a legit argument until he does anything for real. I'm I'm with you and I, and I would also say not many people will agree with this. Scottie Pippen was overrated as well. Now he was a he was a an all an all NBA player. I get that, but he was way better because Michael Jordan was on. They only dropped way like two wins better. when Michael Jordan went to the base. So let's talk. I want to talk. Well, that's because Tony Kukoc was carrying him. Uh, oh, so God. I just want to go back to last year's playoffs. So remember when the Rockets played San Antonio in an, in an elimination game. Okay, San Antonio team without Kawhi Leonard. San Antonio team without Tony Parker. Harden lost by 39 points at home in game six. He had three times as many turnovers as field goals. He lost at home by 39 points to a team that was missing a consensus top five player in the league in Kawhi Leonard, 
and a two-way. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm old. Ted would back me if he was here. I'm sure he's listening. That would never, ever have happened with Kobe. Kobe could have played in 2017, and that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, Jared, I, I shared with you. I'm sure you didn't look at it because you knew I was I was pumping up Kobe. <laughs> it was a little, it was a little too much reading that Kobe had in the playoffs during that that three P he had with Shaq, and that's that's what I'm saying. That the thing is, is people always just simply say Shaq carried Kobe because at that time Shaq he was the most dominant player in the game, and he won the NBA Finals MVPs when they were winning those championships. But if you look at the stats through the playoffs, a lot of Kobe in those series, Kobe averaged more points. He shot sometimes like 60%, 70% from the field. He at, In those days, he was averaging seven, eight assists. He was averaging seven, eight rebounds a game. So to just simply say that Shaq carried him, that's not the case at all because Shaq wasn't winning anything without Kobe before with the Lakers before Kobe got there. So Shaq needed Kobe. Jordan needed Pippen. And Harden, I mean, I don't know if it's he needs Chris Paul or Chris Paul needs Harden, but we'll see if they can do something. But it's not even really an argument. You, I mean, it's just kind of funny to, to hear it. it. It's a millennial argument. That, that's what it comes down to. I'm going to be that guy. If you have to argue why you're not getting carried to pl- carried through the playoffs, that's a dead giveaway you've been getting carried here's, through the here's playoffs. What I, here's what I want, Jared. Someday, someday when, when I'm leaving this earth, and there's a eulogy for me. I want to pull this podcast out for the point of either saying, you know what, my dad was right, or, boy, he was wrong. I'd, I just would like to. I'd like to see how this one ages. It's not. It, it might not. James Harden is better. T- has is more talent than Kobe. He's better player than Kobe Bryant. He doesn't have the opportunities. Argument. Uh, that's that's we're agree to disagree right. here. Well, time think, will tell. Like yeah, you said, time will tell. So let's move on to the rest of the playoffs. I have some thoughts. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about the 76ers are the new in team that they're going to win the East. Um, I I, t- I love their talent. I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat until a team beats LeBron. I, I will not bet against LeBron and. As much as I hate to say it, like he showed it last night, his, his supporting cast right now is just not really helping him, and he carried them to a win. I will say this though, as I mean, he had a, it was an awesome game. He had the game winner. You, you can't take that away, but it was against Indiana, and Indiana's best player is Victor Oladipo, who he's a, he's a good player, he's solid, but but he's having to do this against teams that are just aren't very good, and it it's one of those things too. It's LeBron can carry teams, but the best career move he ever made was staying in the East because the Sixers sure. right now probably are the, the probably the best chance that that LeBron could lose to the Sixers to get to the finals. But they're they're full of you know basically rookies, and the guy with the most experience is probably JJ Redick. So it, I think the youth is going to catch up to the Sixers if they play the the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, t- I totally agree. You guys must not be familiar. Do you do you know who Meek Mill is? <laughs> yes. He's. I, I saw him hitting a bell. He's returned. Yeah. What is that? To, to the Philadelphia sidelines, and momentum is swinging yeah. hard until in they the get, 76ers until favorite. they get beat. Who are they playing? I don't even know who they're playing in their next. It'll series. either be the Celtics or the Bucks. Yeah. If they I mean, play it, the Celtics, it's probably going to be the Celtics, and I, I think the Celtics, Celtics are pretty banged up. So I, I do think the Sixers are going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and who knows? Maybe they maybe they're playing that way that like. They're they're like too naive to believe like to to really know where they're at in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know they're they're just a bunch of young guys riding the wave. They're they're playing really well. They got a guy like Joel Embiid and and Ben Simmons. But I think eventually playing against a guy like LeBron and and if his supporting cast can show up, I think it will catch up to him. But who knows? I agree. And they just too many too many turnovers for my liking. Uh, ben Simmons is an an unbelievable player, but he can't shoot yet, and that's going to be the downfall of their team. Um, oh, but Magic Johnson's so good. Magic, Magic had an incredible supporting cast when he first came in the league. He had Kareem. He that never he could. could go have you to. seen his shot? He, be- he never. Don't don't. If you're gonna say that, you know you don't want to say that. He could make a three later on to keep guys off of him. He could, he could at least like make a three. Ben Simmons hasn't even made a three this right. season. So I mean that's saying wow. something. Yeah, I, I want to say I still say too. Kind of going back to your your comment, Matt, about Cleveland and that 
I, I agree with you that they're going in the East until somebody beats them. And I'm still saying that Golden State is the team to beat until somebody beats them. I, I, I don't have faith in the Rockets because I've seen Chris Paul choke in the past. I've seen James Harden choke in the past. And I've seen D'Antoni's teams choke in the past. That Their, their brand of basketball just doesn't pay off when you get against teams of, of equal of equal talent. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the at the stat sheet right now, and I I really think that that difference is going to be defense. Golden State will be able to lock down Houston, and they'll be able to they, and they can score with them as well. And the difference will be Golden State's defense. And there's nobody in the East going to beat either. I would say no one in the East is going to beat either Houston or Golden State. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. I think. The Western Conference Finals is essentially going to be the NBA Finals. But, I mean, if, if LeBron, if the Cavs make it, then you just never know. I mean, he was down 3-1 to the Warriors, and he came back and won. So so you never know. But I do think whoever wins the East is going to win the Finals. But, but yeah, the, the Rockets can turn it on with anyone. I mean, that's the style that Mike D'Antoni plays with his teams. And they've got a bunch of guys that can shoot. They, can, they scored 50 points in a quarter the other night. Like, that's just insane. But eventually, yeah, that will catch up to them when they play a team who can who can play with them. I mean, the Timberwolves, they're just not as good as the Rockets, so they, they can do that. But it's, I, I, I think it is going to be important if Steph Curry can come back healthy. But I do think right now, I, I, like you said, I, the Warriors are still they're the team to beat. So until someone beats them, you know, you never know. And, and I do believe they're going to have issues with New Orleans. They're playing mm-hmm. fantastic right now. Um, and certainly Steph Curry's health has got to be worrisome to Golden State fans. So what what do you think, Jared? Are you are you on uh, you're trusting the process and going with Embiid and Ben Simmons? No, uh, the only LeBron's going to beat them, but I do think that they're going to beat the Celtics. And I and, and let me just say this: it better be one of those two teams in the in the NBA Finals. If not, it's it's going to be putrid to watch. I don't want to watch the Raptors or the Celtics. That would just be terrible. Yeah, that'd be pretty bad. I mean, that the, the Sixers would be fun to watch because yeah, they're they're exciting and you know they're they're young, so it would be fun to watch. But um, yeah, if it, if it somehow ended up being the Raptors or Celtics or, or Wizards, that, that'd be pretty bad. But but yeah, I mean, the Sixers are set up. They they've got the young talent, so it, they're they're fun to watch. That's for sure. And I and I would say this: if it is the Celtics, I would like to watch that because that goes back to our argument we've had um, at, at multiple points tonight: coaching. You talk if Brad Stevens can get that roster to the NBA Finals, holy moly, that's that would be impressive. It's pretty crazy, yeah, to think you know they signed Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. That was supposed to be the two guys carrying them, and they they haven't played this whole run, and and they they make might make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. It is, it is a good point. Yeah, but I mean, crazier things have happened. I mean, Kobe Bryant beat a. Uh, uh, court case that was pretty. Uh, the odds were pretty much stacked against him. So I'm crazier with, things have happened. I'm with you on that, Jared. I'm with you on that. No comment. All right. Well, that's it. <laughs> that's it for now, folks. Uh, please share this pod with all of your friends and give us your feedback. And I, I hope I uh, did well in my filling in for older brother Ted tonight. Yeah, boondoggling. I don't know what that means. Uh, but email us at threepointpod at gmail.com. And you can follow these guys on Twitter. Ted is at, at Z925SportsGuy. Matt, you're at BurnZ381. And I'm at Jared Fidel. And even the oldest athletic supporter on this program, Jack Strap, has a Twitter account. His son must be helping him with that. That's at Jack Strap. 88. And I want to thanks again to our sponsors, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Chronic Connection, and Z92.5 The Castle. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan production. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Three Point Podcast.